0: Welcome to Careers Unwrapped, where we delve into real-life career stories from successful people who've been through it all, the ups and the downs. We'll get their raw, honest, actionable advice and be the careers talk they wish they'd had when they started out. As someone who has had a varied career, from soldier to salesman, expedition leader to entrepreneur, he knows firsthand that your career doesn't always lead you where you expect it to. Here's your host, Mark Fawcett.
1: Hello and welcome to Careers Unwrapped. I'm your host Mark Fawcett and with me today is the highly talented chef and broadcaster James Tanner. Now James has opened four restaurants through his life with his brother. He's written a whole set of impressive cookbooks. He's also been on our screens for around 20 years on a myriad of shows that you'll know from Ready Steady Cook through to Lorraine, Saturday Kitchen and others. And Today, hopefully, James is going to share a bit of insight into his impressive culinary career, but also reflect on the highs, the lows, and maybe give a bit of inspiration to people who also might be thinking, I wonder if I could cook. So, James, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
2: Great to be here.
1: I think let's just kick off. You've had and have so much going on in your working life. What's on your plate at the moment?
2: Well, for me, in the time of year, it's that big build up to Christmas. So we've got two sites at the moment and we've had them for many years, but they're very different businesses. One's a country style fine dining pub, really. It's a restaurant with a bar, but it's that classic public house. So literally yesterday, it was getting ready for our first Christmas decorations and that kind of thing. It's not just about the food. It's the entrance when people walk in to create that ambience, everything else like that. And um The Brasserie is a 100-cover trendy kind of New York loft-style look restaurant. And again, it's big, big numbers, big parties, corporate work, all kinds of different menus there as well and dietary requirements and what people want. So the planning on it is absolutely massive. The covers that we do for the forthcoming month are very big. They're very crucial to us as a business. And for me, it's that kind of stage of year where we know we've really got to be on it. We've really got to deliver, which we always have to anyway, but it's that big party season expectation and we want to make sure we nail it. So myself and I'm just a small cog of it. We've got a big team at both sides, run the business with my brother as well. That's my business partner. And it's just something that we're, we know is coming up as massive and we've, we've just got to nail it basically. So it's the same every year. This is Christmas number 25 for us in business. So we've been going for some time and we tweak things every year. And so these days, would you describe yourself more
1: as a chef or a businessman or a media broadcaster?
2: Where's the mix in your life? I think I will tick a box for everything really, because you could add to this being realistically. I'm also a kitchen porter. I also sweep the floors. We also put the orders away and we also do the accounting. So It's a bit of everything. Yeah, you could say yeah. Okay, a businessman, but I'm known as a chef. That is my trade. It is my passion. You could say a restaurateur because we've got a couple of sites and we do events and everything else like that. I haven't got one label, and I don't think in business you can. You got to adapt and evolve and learn. I'm still. Everyone still learns, so it's very important. So I haven't got one box above my head if that's the thing.
1: So I'm going to jump straight actually into a question that one of our young career starters sent in when they knew you were coming on in the tv shows and films often show busy restaurant kitchens as pretty horrible places to work with dominant personalities what's the reality like for perhaps a young trainee coming into the industry working in a kitchen in a busy restaurant now
2: i think now that we were um In the year we're in and how the trade itself has evolved, it's changed for the better. Yes, it's not been portrayed the best, I don't think, through media or through film or TV shows or documentaries and that kind of thing. And yes, it was a very, very hard environment to work in. There was a bit of a hierarchy, that kind of thing. Even like, dare I say, an old school military style to some of the kitchens that I worked in in the past and what people know from. Famous restaurants or famous older school chefs. The trades changed, people have changed. Um, one of the biggest things for us when I went into business in '99, my brother was in my 20s, my low 20s then, and um, worked in some brilliant places. And then also heard horror stories in other places and thought, no, I won't move around there. We're going to learn my craft with these guys here, and we're with a great company. Um, on our cbs with the rue brothers and stuff like that which is fantastic and great opportunities um but there's that expectation to deliver and everything else which still stands now however we're in a lot more of an understanding time and when i started the business or when we started the business for us as a company we wanted to be someone really appreciated to work for and felt like they're a part of a team and we embrace that we still do that now um, we have the ethos with our company that you're only as good as the people around you, that kind of thing. Um, but yet, I don't think the industry was portrayed the best, and I'm glad, I'm so glad that that's changed now. And um, so now, for anybody joining the industry as a whole, right across the board, and no matter what level you're going to go in and what you choose to go in at, I think now is the best time more than ever actually um, for people to embrace that and grab that and It's a lot more welcoming as in just support, just in general for your life, not just for the job that you're doing or the section that you're put on. So I think now's the best time more than ever for someone to join the industry. The opportunities are so brilliant, Um, understanding companies, big and small. And yeah, it's the new time now and we should carry that forward big time. So rolling the clock back
1: then for you, what first triggered an interest and a passion for food for being a chef and what were the first practical steps you took
2: yeah so i'm from a family quite a large family of four boys four brothers um mum and dad worked very very hard mum was a great cook she'd try and um do everything on a budget as well as we were growing up i mean i'm not like massive rich family or anything like that so she'd cook a chicken and change it into three different dishes that kind of thing you know to feed her family so yeah, I used to help my mum out in the kitchen, making everything from little cakes to quiches to pack lunch things and the Sunday roast as an example, or um, just a general, just, I just used to generally help out. And then for myself, I wanted a bit of pocket money. So I jumped on my BMX at the time, went up to um, the local pub around the corner when I was about 12 years old, cut the beer gro- garden grass for all of about one pound fifty at the time, I think it was, the guy paid me. And then he said, do you want to come in the kitchen and do a bit of washing up at the weekends? And I was like, yeah, great. Let's do that. It's a bit of pocket money. And did a bit of washing up for the first couple of weeks. And then it was only a small little pub, but the chef didn't turn up one weekend. Next thing, there was a young lad, myself and the owner, we stood there on a Sunday, can roast dinners together. And obviously I was doing what I was told kind of thing, but we got through it. And um, he's like, do you want to come back in next weekend? do you want to do it again and I was like yeah let's do that and next thing you know I was back on my BMX every weekend going up around the corner putting my bike against the wall walking in that kitchen and doing everything from peeling potatoes to roast to learning how to cook different meats and make sauces and desserts and that kind of thing and I grew up in Kent using great Kent produce and Bramley apples and everything that a village pub would do for a weekend and so I really like this. And my eldest brother is my business partner, five years older than me. He was just kind of at that leaving college phase going into the industry anyway. And to be honest, I didn't think, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to do kitchens, but I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it kind of like ignited that little spark of passion. And I thought, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give this a go. And I did. And I've never looked back, to be honest. Yeah, I think that chance when you're younger, and that is a very much difference
1: between I think when both you and I started out and whatever career paths we took, and and now, and that a lot more young people then had a part time job or gave something a shot or had a Saturday job, and there's a lot more, lot less of that employment right now. So people getting a taste for things, the washing up you mentioned, still fills me with horror of the days when I was doing the washing up machine in a harvester restaurant and the big sort of. Steam-filled boxes. You had to put everything in one side and out the other. And when I moved upwards to become a waiter, life got a lot more fun and enjoyable and better than than the washing up machine. You mentioned there the Rue brothers, and they were, I think, an important part to you in in the beginning. In fact, they gave you an opportunity to go and work in the states, New York, I believe. Perhaps, sort of, tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah. So when I was at college at 16. My brother was working in London at the Brew Restaurants. They had multiple restaurants at the time. He did everything from like the Three star Michelin Gavroche Restaurant, which was their flagship. And they had different various contracts and sites. And there was a place in Cheapside that I went to called Le Poo Bowl. It's not there anymore. And high-paced brasserie, fine dining restaurant, tapped alongside it as well. Very big on business lunches. So I went there as a day release while i was at college and my brother was the sous chef there which means he was the number two at the time and so just rocked up did the services saw the atmosphere saw the high paced pressure fast pressure of it all and i was like wow this is amazing um move on a few more years after college and everything else and i didn't work my brother ever since really after me being 16 an opportunity came up and i was working in a great restaurant, actually, down in Devon. And my brother called me and was like, you know, um, ruse has got an opportunity to go out to the States. And I knew Chris had done it earlier in his career path. He, Chris went across when he was 19, believe it or not, which is, uh, you think about that now, it's pretty crazy. I was lucky because um, it sounds terrible, but you can have a beer when you're in the States when you're 21. And I turned 21 for one day and I flew out. And my contract started then. Um, I went to a beautiful property called The Point in up, when I say New York, it was upstate New York in the Adirondacks, which is a national parkland, beautiful, massive lodge with beautiful log cabins overlooking the place called Lake Placid. And they also had another restaurant, which was a lodge as well called The Point in a place called Saranac Lake. Rue had the contracts for both sites. So there was a British chef at one, an American head chef at the other. A mixed team of US staff and in the kitchen, a few British staff. A lot have come out from various people like Gary Rhodes in London, someone that worked for Pierre Kaufman before, and things like that. So it was a great little melting pot of talent. I was a young lad, had a bit of experience, went across as what we call a chef to party. So my section was mine, kind of thing. So I could be moved around sections on the kitchen. at the time, one of the biggest brigades I got sent into, so I think there was 15 to 16 chefs, and I really kept my head down, saw some different ingredients that I'd never seen in my life before, saw a completely different style of food as well, which I found really interesting and quite inspiring. And then I got promoted to the junior sous chef level, which is like number three in the kitchen by the time I was like 22. And it's a big responsibility. I was a small cog in a massive wheel of people to make that operation run very very high standard we cook for some amazing people some high profile people as well and great guests and sometimes yeah it was a bit of a pinch yourself moment doing it and I just something I always remember and really really enjoyed doing it as well and having the opportunity and the good thing about this industry is you can travel and it gives you choices and options that if you really want to go for it and you put yourself to it a big world out there we've had people that's worked for us in the past that we've um, had contacts for australia new zealand randomly a couple of guys we know we sent out to america after as well so to have that opportunity was fantastic but you had to work for it to get there to to get that and get to prove it as well and no it was brilliant a fantastic experience
0: and
1: in your work and also from yourself as well you've connected with worked for worked with a whole host of different chefs many good some great some household names others perhaps less well known but in your experience what makes the difference between a good chef and a great
2: chef what's the attitude the skills that you think lifts the top people i just think it's their their dedication and talent and skill and there's some chefs that have worked for unbelievable people and done some wonderful things. And there's other chefs where they've got natural talent and it's not been necessarily drummed into them or taught to them. Um, It's something where they've done it through their own trial and error and inspiration. The thing is with this trade, and I find it now, everyone's still learning all the time. And even so, food trends change and techniques change. There's techniques now that's used I wouldn't have even dreamt of or known of. I'm still learning, still learning now. I think that's the good, exciting thing. Um, what makes a good chef stand out, I think, is someone that appreciates the team around them, is willing to do whatever they put onto somebody as well within the team. And I still carry that ethos now within our crews that we work with. And it's just someone that's understanding and got a good temperament about them, hasn't got a big ego. And it's not all about them. It's about, What you're producing, the most important thing is, and I always say this to the guys, are the customers. The customers, if you don't have customers, you can be the best chef in the world, but if you can't produce it and make a business work out of that, you can be a great cook, you can be a great chef, but you've got to have that mindset and talent for it to work and run a business as well. And it's not just about running the kitchen. Um, There used to be years ago a bit of a divide with front of house and kitchen we look at as one um you've got to have team briefings you've got to have respect for the people that are going out there and facing the customer and you might be put up with dietary challenges or some of the want something different and can we do this and can we do that and it's how you adapt on your feet on the spot and that's not easy to do and it's something that you've got to have an open mind about so i think you've just got to have a general well a good sense about A thought for who's around you and what you're producing as well and you do need that bit of talent at the end of the day obviously but I mean some of the things that people are producing now food wise and what I've seen in the past and what we try and do is I just think it's brilliant it's exciting and you mentioned there a, a
1: lack of ego yet I think some of us might associate with the top chefs quite a lot of ego and how does that Come across in a positive way the ego that gives them the confidence and belief but also
2: manages to get a team of people to work behind them i think it's with the word ego as long as you're not coming across arrogant if you're coming across inspiring or you're coming across motivating and it's giving you that end product that's different anyone can stand some in any profession and be screamy shouty And everyone to like drop of their feet around them and everything else like that. But life's not like that. And you don't get the best out of people like that. Respect people around you and think, be treated how you'd want to be treated. And I just think that's more important than anything, really. And yeah, the media and the documentaries and films, yeah, it is that grabbing moment. It does get people's attention. It's like a screamy, shouty chef. But also part of that is somebody's passion because they want it to be right. But I still think there's a way one should conduct oneself and how you go about that. So you're then in your early 20s. You
1: know by then that you're a good chef and you've learned from some of the best. You've got talent. You've got experience. You decide to, with your brother, go and actually set up your own business. What was the switch in your mindset that was needed to move from being a great chef to being a business owner?
2: I can tell you, I can remember it so clearly. I was at a point in my life where I worked for some great people and have been back in the UK for a few couple of years as well, or actually about 18 months. um, Come from a brilliant two-star Michelin kitchen. I was working out in Bath for a guy called Martin Bluenos, who's an absolute legend. Still in contact with the guy now. He lives over in Thailand. He's very successful over there. His background was Latvian food. I deliberately went there to see how you can take basically peasant-style old-school food and do it at a two-star Michelin level. It was fantastic. Worked for the guy for a year, which was the kind of norm years ago. You'd do a year with someone, move on, that kind of thing. I kind of got the bug to travel a bit again um, or see a different part of the world. My brother was in between moving positions and had just gone back to Kent, where we are originally from. And randomly, there was a hotel up the road where they something happened or their chefs walked out, something had happened. And basically, we said, we're going to help. We've got a month or so free. We could come and help you run it for a bit and just help you out while you get your new team and we're going to move on to our other positions. I needed to sort out visas everything else for what I intended to do. And there was one weekend, we'd had a hard weekend, I'll be honest, I'll word this carefully. The people, I understand why the kitchen team worked out, walked out. They weren't the best people to work for. And we thought, we're not here long anyway and everything else like that. And we'll sat outside the back of the kitchen after a long couple of days. And I don't know what it was. We just looked at each other and I, I said, well, why don't we try doing it for ourselves then? I won't go traveling. You don't move on to your next HF position. Do you think we could do it? And we didn't really have a lot either, though. So it's very, very difficult. And we thought, how are we going to do this? And then randomly, an opportunity came up in Plymouth, in Devon, through someone that my brother knew that he used to go to a restaurant that Chris was the head chef at. They got in contact with him and said, just to let this beautiful, iconic site's come up in Plymouth. It dates back to 1490. Um, It's a beautiful medieval little building. It's associated with St. Andrew's Church in Plymouth. They want to try and rent out the space. I think you could turn it into a restaurant because it wasn't a restaurant before. And I was like, Plymouth? Why would I have never been to Plymouth? And I know my brother worked just outside the city a few years previous. Anyway, I was like, what have we got to lose, Chris? Come on. I'll jump in the car with you. Let's go down and show me this site and show me this city. We drove down pulled up where this site was and we looked at each other and we were just like, wow, this beautiful medieval building. Met this older gentleman from the church at the time with this big bunch of rusty, I'm talking about medieval, big keys and walked into an area that we turned into the bar area, which was this um, lime-washed walls, beams everywhere, that kind of thing. Very dark though, little slate steps and all that kind of thing. And he was like, well, this is the area we think you could use and we'd like to rent out and then you've got to go up this little windy staircase and we think this could be kitchen because there's services there so we've got drainage etc and there's a water source and we can you could run gas in this way at the time or electric harder electric and all that kind of thing and we were just like looking at it all thinking mind blown how are we going to do it and got back in the car drove and, sp- and chatted non-stop all the way back home and just thought how can we do this and To cut a long story short, we didn't have a lot of savings. I was 23 at the time. My brother was about 28 and had a a couple of cars that we drove around. Nothing special at all. We sold both cars. We scraped together what we could. We went to the bank. They lent us not quite enough money, but we thought we could just about start to do it. It wasn't masses of money at the time, but it was just enough for us to go in on the lease. Um, We bought a £100 van from a car breakers in tunbridge that had a little bit of um mot left on it and i even randomly was at a scrapyard and like bought another alternator for it for 10 pounds and another starter mode 10 pounds things that might go wrong on it that i could fix we went to my mom and dad's house raided stuff they didn't want went to build up the van took it to boot fairs sold things for a pound or 50p or two pounds whatever we could do to just try and scrape anything together from selling old tiles my dad had left over from a job at home through to a piece of furniture that they might have had or didn't want anymore and just anything we could try and sell and um scrape the money together put our stuff in the back of this little van just about made it down to Plymouth, but it broke down on the way and needed the alternator putting on it. So we put that on it halfway down, I bumped it down that road, pulled up into Plymouth, um, did the deal on the lease, which was good, to be honest, but needed the work doing to it. And then we basically bought everything secondhand that we could, like beg, borrow. And when we opened, literally... There was hardly anything in the restaurant, to be honest. It was real basic. And our first customer walked in on the 17th of July, 1999, and ordered a coffee. And we are all excited because it was the first customer. But from that first customer, um, we just reinvested everything, tried just had enough to survive and reinvested. We bought newer nice plates. We bought newer chairs eventually. Um, We bought soft furnishings, we bought fixtures and fittings, and we just added and added and added. But as long as we could just pay our rent where we were living at the time and just literally survive everything, our focus. I mean, I was just at the restaurant for hours and hours and hours a day anyway. You just had somewhere to sleep and you went back and you carried on. And that was how we got our first restaurant. And it was just the two of us. You had to do everything from collecting your deliveries to washing up to mopping the floor at the end, putting that key in. Shutting the door and thinking, right, tomorrow's another day. Come on. And we had, as myself and my brother in the kitchen only, we had two guys out front. And then that wasn't enough because of the logistics of the building. So we added on another part-timer. And then like a year down the road, we managed to get like another guy that came into the kitchen to eventually help us that used to do a bit of prep and a bit of the washing up kind of thing. And then that's just how we started to grow. And looking back now, it's great. I mean, there weren't. What other room was there for us at the time? That was how we made it work. And that was how we made it happen. And that was how Tanner's, our first restaurant, was born. So incremental
1: steps, every penny going back in, sheer hard graft and determination. And then you roll it forward a couple of decades and there are three, four restaurants that you've been involved with setting up. You've become a success as a chef, and in the other aspects of your work as well as a business person. We'll talk a little bit in a moment, hopefully, about the media side of things. But if you could now look back over those couples of decades as a restaurateur, I'd love to know where the big errors happened. Where did things go spectacularly wrong? What are the things that you sort of put your head in your hands now and go, oh,
2: God, that moment. It can't all have been plain sailing no it's not and it still isn't now to be honest but I'm a bit more we're all a bit more experienced with just life in general and business and everything else like that but yeah you know it's trying to sometimes taking on too much it's trying trying to do too much because you think we need to get that business in or we need to turn it around quickly to do this for that and almost like that working yourself to death element as well when you're younger your body can take it more to be honest but then again I have a lot of people say to me over the years, I would never do or or I could never do what you do. And it's not a prison sentence. It's a choice. And, you know, my response was, well, that's our choice to do that. And that's what we wanted to do. And things aren't always, nothing's given to you on a plate. Um, Things are hard. And yet we were seriously, we still are very, very committed. Um, But yeah, you've just got to grab it and go for it. Every day is a different day. You try and nail everything to be 100%. And sometimes things don't always go right, but it's how you adjust yourself or at the time to rectify it. I mean, I wouldn't say we've had any massive horror story blinders. I mean, the worst thing that's ever happened to us in business, if I'm completely honest with you, was in 2006. And this was, it was a long story and it was a horrible thing to go through. We had a major fire. Our um, restaurant that we still got now, Plymouth Gin Distillery, and it was through the extract system that was already in place before when we took on the site, and it turns out the wrong rivets weren't used. So there you go. That's something I've learned from. We didn't know at the time that the rivets, temperature point, you've got to have a certain rivet in the extract. Now, obviously, we saw it was a working restaurant before, so we saw all of the extract system already in. And everything was, we thought, great, perfect. Yeah, of course, you've got to clean it, service it, everything else like that, which we were doing. And you have to do that as insurance stipulation anyway. And we always went above and beyond that. But it turns out that if you haven't got the right rivets, the extract can pop apart with the heat. And boom, look what happened. There's a big financial hit. And honestly, massive learning curve for us and almost sent us under, if I'm honest, at the time. So, yeah, that's a pretty much horror story. That's pretty awful.
1: Running your own business, your own business across several sites, that's pretty much all consumed. consuming. Being a chef and the hours that that involves is pretty much all consuming as well. You're doing both of these things. And then you decide to also make a move into media and start appearing on television shows. Of course, TV can be a notoriously fickle and tricky industry as well how and also why did you go down that route
2: an opportunity came up and it was through the food network to go and demonstrate and do a dish each myself and my brother at the time actually in nottingham and it was called carlton food network at the time but it happened to be filled in nottingham we closed the restaurant for the lunch service because the filming was in the morning so we drove up the night after we'd finished cooking i filmed a pork dish Chris did a um dessert drove back honestly didn't think anything else of it um it was just a weird experience to do and we're like no what that was crazy that you know this opportunity had come up and I think we'd started to make a name for ourselves with the quality of what we were offering at the restaurant like it was just a random phone call is how it happened um that came and went didn't think anything else of it didn't even see it go out on the telly to be honest at the time and it was on one of the the early satellite channels at the time, going back a few decades now. And then another opportunity came up. It was called Chef Star 2002, I believe. And um, you could go, this was another Food Network channel that was in a shopping center randomly, it was filmed, with, um, you could go and be judged by this panel of judges. and They watched you cook and how you came across. And I was interviewed at the time by um, TV legend at the time, Jenny Barnett. And she does radio now more. And we went there. It was filmed. They aired it on this program, Good Food Live. And it went out, got a good response from that. Didn't win the competition or an event. This random guy was the actual winner. And I think he went on the show a couple of times. And I think that was it, really. And then randomly, I had a phone call afterwards from a production company called Endemol, which is massive. And they made Ready Steady Cook. And they said, we're doing a guest chef competition we're going to have a guest chef on each day it was the goodie bag section of the show at the end which um you used to do the chefs used to do a 20 minute cook off against each other and then at the end of the show there was a 10 minute section where you had to try and cook something in 10 minutes and the chef it was a bit of a fun and banter bit at the end anyway instead of the regular chefs doing it they had guest chefs for the entire week and they asked me would i like to do it so I was like, okay, wow, well, yeah, go on, I'll do it. And why not? I'll give it a go. Really nervous. Went up to the studios, and it was a proper TV studio experience for me—a big production and everything else like that. The audience of 120 cameras everywhere, big bright lights. You know, before I was in a shopping center with a guy of a little camera, yeah? and I did this. Came up with this recipe from this bag of ingredients. Had to do something in 10 minutes. Ainsley Harriet was helping me do it. And I'm stood there thinking, am I dreaming? This is mental. This is just mad, a crazy experience. Anyway, it aired. So I was on on the Monday, and they had a different chef on throughout the course of the week, up until the Friday. And then it went down to public voting. And I thought, well, I'm on a Monday. I think people might forget me by Friday, to be honest. Um, anyway they didn't I won it and that got me that slot on that show and then that was the springboard Uh, many years of Ready Steady Cook but that springboard from being the new chef on the show all of a sudden I started picking up other shows so it went on from this morning I used to do this morning it was Firm Britain more I did one show I think of Holly Willoughby but it was Firm Britain I always remember and she was from Devon And she heard that we had the restaurant down here as well. And she knew someone that used to eat with us and she'd heard good things. So that was a nice... And that kind of calmed me a bit when I went on to do that show. And also that show was live. So when you're live, they put an earpiece in and you're listening to countdowns in your ear at the same time as talking. Now, people say to me now, I don't know how you can do that. I kind of... At first, I was very nervous about it, but I got used to it very quickly. Listening to someone talking, you're at the same time as talking as you're cooking, and you're live. And then I got moved on to Lorraine show, which was an earlier breakfast slot from this morning. And um, obviously that was two to three times a week, you're live TV, broadcasting to the nation. And then I was very lucky for a long time in my career, I could flip between channels. So I used to still do stuff for the beat. Sometimes it's a bit more separate nowadays. So I could still do stuff on the other channels. then I started getting stuff for BBC two still. And then BBC one and different shows, country house Sunday. I did for three seasons, I believe Um, step up to the plate for ITV. Honestly, I forget some of them, but it just grew and grew and grew. And then ready said it kept going on for many years. And then obviously that finished, but I was still doing the daytime work as well. And, it takes me right up to today where um like this weekend just gone, I just aired on James Martin's Saturday show, um, ITV, which is fantastic. And a great friend of mine and known him from obviously Ready Steady Cook days and everything else like that. So known the guy for 25 years to be stood there cooking still now and airing on a big viewing show, which is fantastic. And then I did Saturday Kitchen with him before that, but It's weird, I actually did the pilot with him for Saturday Kitchen. So the pilot, for people that won't know, is the test show that they put to the commissioners to see if the show actually gets on air. So it is a bit weird when I look back now, Yeah, wow, I've been doing it that long.
1: So you've been through your development of skills as a chef, your development of skills as a business person, your development of skills as a broadcaster, and I know now that you're also often quite heavily involved in initiatives and programs that help encourage and develop the future talent in the industry. Which brings me on to another question, actually, from one of our career starter listeners, which was very specific from a young man who's in his mid-20s, works in finance, and wants to make a complete career switch into cooking and becoming a chef, Says he's very good at home. But the question from him is, What are the first steps he should take? How should he get that
2: foothold to start his own career as a chef? Straight, straight away. Obviously, it's a massive financial thing for the guy to just completely drop everything and switch careers and everyone's got bills. Everyone's got pressure. I think what he should do straight away is find a great local restaurant to him. Literally knock on the back of the kitchen door or walk into the restaurant and Say, can I come and work for you for free over the weekend? As an example, can I come and experience the restaurant kitchen? Can I experience that buzz of service? And say, I'm willing to do anything for you. Um, as in, I'll stand there, even if I had to stand at the side and just pick the herbs. Or can I do a, even if I had to do a little bit of washing up and um, peel some of the vegetables for you? Just to stand there and experience it. The the the, the, the I. I still get it now. It's a buzz that you get of service, the buzz of service, that pressure. But it is a pressure because you've got to deliver with the time constraint with people coming. It's like you go out for a meal, you don't want to wait too long, that kind of thing and everything else like that. But it, it's seeing people when they're under it and their craft comes across and their talent comes across and what you see in a person. And the cooking to me, is it's not just, oh, it looks pretty on a plate, it's touch It's smell. You can feel something when you're cooking it. Is it cooked right? Yeah, that feels great. That's just bouncing back up. I know that's cooked perfectly. And that timing's ready now for table number four. Um, the consistency of the sauce, is that right? Oh wow, look at that dessert. Is that too sweet? No. Let's taste it. Has it got a bitter element? Has it got a sour element? Has it got a sweet element to it? And you learn so much and you see so much and then you could be put with somebody on a section and they could show you how to plate something up or cook something and finish it. And you could grab that and that could be your little task and people will take note of that. And um, don't get me wrong, the industry's been heavily since COVID. A lot of people had lifestyle changes. A lot of people um, want to change their work time patterns and balance and everything else like that. So there's a lot of opportunities for people and age doesn't really come into it now and so I think now is a good time for somebody of that age instead of being like a straightaway school leaver or anything else like that he can still jump in and learn a craft but definitely definitely 100% should go to a best restaurant that's around his area and whatever ones are around and just saying that this is what I really love this is what I like I've got a real passion for it I love doing this at home can I come and see what you do And can I get a bit of work experience? Can I come in and help you for a night? We have it with people. I've had everything from accountants to architects to motor mechanics, you name it. And we're like, yeah, come on in and see the service for the night. And they get involved. And I like, can see how excited they are. Now, if you can grab that in somebody and you can keep that level of excitement, that's their passion coming out. And that's when opportunities can happen. And sometimes you just need to you know, there's that thing, oh, well, if you don't ask, you'll never know. There's a lot of truth in that. So you should ask. I'd talk to you now. It's clear how important
1: and how much of a factor a passion is in this. And I was, as we sort of bring this to a close, rolling back time again and thinking about if you could advise yourself, that 16 year old who's working in the local pub doing anything that they could get their hands on. What might you say to yourself now? in terms of do a bit more of this and do a little less of that, the advice you might want to send back through time to younger you?
2: Wow. Well, no, but honestly, I think threw myself into it. A younger me, maybe slow down a bit. Don't try and run before you can walk. Slow down a bit, I think. Don't try and run before you can walk and everything doesn't happen overnight with regards to your money, your position, everything else just take a breath. You're doing all right anyway, James. You're doing okay, that kind of thing. But I think I naturally did that as I got a bit more experienced and a bit older and matured more, to be honest. And But it's good to have that bit of excitement and that bit of fire as well. So I've still got it now a bit. To be honest.
1: It's a balance, isn't it? You can't slow down too much, but it doesn't come to you today. It requires a number of the things. And I think Wrapping this up, there's been some really interesting themes, consistent themes you've brought through this, James. Dedication, the importance of the team around you, the positive side of ego, as opposed to the negative, arrogant side of ego, the need to have talent, but also to develop that talent, the need to be adaptable, and also just an undercurrent, which I think people can sometimes forget about of sheer hard graft that is needed not just in your career route but in many careers if you want to get to be the best you can be amongst the best of the best it requires that hard graft and determination all of which you've clearly shown and i think one thing i'd like to ask actually as a wrap-up really is we're always trying to pass on this baton of careers experience and career stories to help people who are starting out in the earliest stages in the career and who do you think might be another really good person
2: to get on whose career we could unwrap who would be of interest to us all? I mean, obviously I work in hospitality. I could stay in my field of profession, but maybe look at the other side. When I say the other side, that the hospitality major important is the service side, that welcoming from out front. I'm not just on about being a massive restaurant director, but to start there's careers from waiting staff that go on sommeliers that know unbelievable knowledge about wines and everything else like that. So why not pass the baton on to somebody that runs the front of house, the big man, the welcoming or lady, whatever. Um, I think someone from um, hospitality still, but maybe out from, definitely. Well, we'll look at that.
1: And one final question for me, James, as you've also built this career in television and we were talking earlier about how films sometimes portray chefs and busy kitchens. When we make the film of your life, who do you want to be playing you in the film of James Tanner?
2: Wow. Who could play me? don't know. Let's go for a massive Hollywood A-lister, Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go. Why not? If he can nail all of those big films, I want someone big. Yeah, I've worked hard for it, so why not? Okay,
1: James, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really interesting to unpick a multifaceted career, and I think also a lot of really strong themes that have come out of that. I hope will for people who want to go into your line of work will inspire them to do so, but will also give them some really clear direction thoughts on how best to do So, James, thank you for unwrapping your career with us. It's been great having you on the show. It's been a pleasure.
2: Brilliant. Great talking to you.
0: This podcast is sponsored by We Are Futures. To find out more about We Are Futures and how we can introduce your brand, business or organisation to the mass markets of tomorrow, visit www.wearefutures.com. Make sure to search for Careers Unwrapped in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at We Are Futures, thanks for listening.